Erica. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on. It's been a long time. It's been like seven years, I think, since we've seen each other in person. I know, I know. And it's so good to see your face. It's so good to feel your energy through the computer screen. Um, (laughs) I'm just so happy to be here and I'm so, so glad to be here with you. Yes, yes. And uh, we mentioned on our time before we clicked record that this is kind of a full circle moment for us because we met uh, in 2015 in Philadelphia at the PSYOP conference, which is our industry's nerdy um, annual conference uh, for industrial organizational psychologists. And so we both come from a similar background, but different journeys, different stories. And so I would love to hear uh, more about you, what you do, who you are, what you do, and the impact you're looking to make on the world. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Um, yes, it has been. This has been a, cir- a full circle moment. Um, uh, as you mentioned, I am Erica Spitali, and I'm a native of Chicago. Even though I don't live there anymore, Chicago will always be home for only six months out of the year, if you know what right. I mean. <laughs> yes. um, and moved to Atlanta in 2016. And by background, um, I come from a family of scientists. And so it was really kind of innate in me to get into the science field some way, somehow. I thought I was going to be a doctor. And then if you remember, I'm going to age myself, the show ER, I couldn't even handle that. And so, okay, well, I don't know how I'm going to be doing open heart surgery if I can't take the visual effects of a, you know, NBC TV show. So um, quick pivot. And I became a clinical psychologist. And so I am a licensed clinical psychologist and I practiced uh, in the mental health field for over 10 years before having an Oprah aha moment where Mm -hmm. working for a nonprofit and became more curious around the actual inner workings of the nonprofit versus serving the client. And so Mm -hmm. my curiosity led to this uh, re-emergence of of formal education and going back to school after my doctorate, no judgment, please, um, Mm -hmm. and getting a degree in IO psychology because, you know, I can't, I can't leave the science and the human behavior piece behind. And decided to work in the healthcare system as a natural segue from mental health to business psychology in a healthcare organization. And I haven't looked back since, and I've been doing this amazing work for seven years now, going on eight, and there's still a lot more to do. And so I I am the head of, of talent and employee experience at EmployBridge and I love the work I do and I love to love the work I get to do with the teammates that I have. I love that. And tell us more about kind of your why and what's what's the impact that you're looking to make on the world. I mean, you told us it gives a little bit of a hint into what inspired it. um, But what's the core? Yeah. I have always been fascinated by humanity why we do the things we do, why we say the things we say, how and why we think the way we think. Um, And I think that's, you know, obviously what spurred a lot of my uh, mental health work. But regardless of the environment that we're in, we don't get to turn off the human button. Mm -hmm. And so there is just so much need um, and work required to ensure that 24-7, 365, we are doing for one another what we need um, to thrive in this world. And so I am just maniacally focused on 
centering the human experience in and out of the workplace 24 7 365 and making sure that no matter how you identify and who you are um, that you have equitable opportunities to do whatever it is you choose to do oh i love that and i love your mission and your focus obviously it rings home true for me with the work that that i do and so we're kind of in this together we're in this like pivotal moment in history where we're, I think we're seeing the shift happen. We're seeing the enlightenment, the, the light bulb come on um, with more people than ourselves, right? Because I feel like for a while, we were just kind of talking to a wall, like humanity at work, it makes a difference. And now it's like, oh, yeah, it does. Um, what do you think are the barriers to that? Because that is something that I grapple with all the time. Is it the human condition? Is it the systems? Like, what what are your what are your thoughts on the barriers to to that? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind when I when you said that or asked that was was the system. I mean, let's let's be honest for for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, our society has been built in a way that serves individuals who identify a specific way more than others, and so that systemic pressure is the foundation with which businesses have been built. And so it is really like legacy retelling the same story, but just in a different book cover. And that power that systems have, rarely, it's fundamentally almost impossible, right, for an individual to overcome that. And so, Mm. almost to your question, how do, in specific environments, how do we collectively overturn? Mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. what the system has been conditioned to operate as so that we can have different conversations and say different things and feel different things and ensure that even though to your point earlier, when we were talking offline, the one size fits all um, isn't necessarily the solution, but there are some table stakes that mm-hmm. should fit all. And if yeah. we're centering the folks that historically have been marginalized, underrepresented, underserved, then we will most likely ensure that everyone benefits from whatever pivots and changes we need to make. Hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and that's, you know, when I tell people about what I do, uh, you know, cause I think sometimes when we talk about systems, when we talk about marginalized communities, people are like, oh, you're in the DE&I space. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm in the, the change and system space. I just happen to be a black woman who works in systems change and yes, I bring life experience, but I think there's, you know, been this interesting shift that we're seeing where it's like, because we're talking about systems, you know, we must be in the DE&I space. We must carve that out as DE&I when it is, it is just baked in to how we do things. It's baked into from a societal and, you know, anthropology, uh, cultural perspective, we can't ignore the broader context of society and how it's operated and then just say, oh, that doesn't apply here in the workplace, right. uh, which is why, you know, I know you're um, heading up employee experience. So how does that take shape for you? How are you thinking about the employee experience journey from that lens of being a, I don't know, a lowercase culture in the context of a uppercase culture, if that question makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think um, one of the things that 
been diligent or tried to be as diligent as I can about is really identifying those key moments first. Because look, at the end of the day, when you think about somebody's experience, you've got part-time workers, you've got full-time workers, you might have shift workers. There is, it is too insurmountable of a task to try to navigate or account for every hour, every minute of somebody's day or experience Mm -hmm. in the organization. But there are absolutely key moments that you definitely want to double down on, lean in heavily on around how do we ensure that at least at these moments that we are curating and providing an experience that benefits who we bring in and also keeps who we bring in. Um, I also think too, in, and this is you know maybe a little bit more taboo, but also humanly deselects who no longer serves the mm-hmm. organization. And I think we talk a lot yeah. about retention and attraction, mm-hmm. but the caveat to retention is also making sure that those who stay have an experience that isn't detracted by those who may no longer be equipped to navigate and contribute in the way that we would, that we, they would have, you know, maybe a year ago, two years ago, et cetera. And so I know that tends to be a little bit less talked about, but I think it's equally as important. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I, I always, I have many analogies for culture and employee experience. One of them being a garden. The other, the other one, which you'll appreciate is kind of like the, the human body and the system, right? Like when you think about, um, I don't know, like organ transplants, for example, they're either accepted or they're rejected. And so your body is a system and how, and, and I know this is kind of, kind of an intense example, but how, how are you ensuring that the way you're building your culture and the experience within your, within your organization is um, rejecting the bad stuff, right? Uh, that's what a system that is working to your aspiring culture is supposed to do. It should also have accountability structures, reinforcement structures that keep the bad stuff out um, or keep the weeds from growing if we're going back to the the garden example. It's a whole ecosystem to your point. Absolutely. No, that's exactly it. And so as much as we, to your point again, talk about um, approvals (laughs) and Mm -hmm. inserts, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. we also should be talking about, okay, well, what are we what are we discarding? Um, what are mm. we getting rid of? Whether they're behaviors, um, you know, who are we again, humanistically letting go of, um, mm-hmm. all of that. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, um, what, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about culture, you talk about employee experience, it's, you know, we also talk about inclusion and, I think we're overusing a lot of words these days, uh, inclusion, belonging. Oh, those all sound fabulous. And yes, they sound very human. But what do you think about the the, the role of exclusion to to the point of uh, the point of it keeping the integrity of culture and what you're trying to build? And then how, how do we start that conversation in a way that's real? Um because I do think there is an element of exclusion when it comes to ensuring that the system is working properly. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like talking off the cuff here, but what, what do you think about that? Does that resonate? It does. And I love it. And I mean that in the most, uh, you know, empathetic way, but <clears throat> look, we, we exclude every day. I mean, let's be honest. When you think about why businesses have been put in place, it's, it's to make money. 
Mm-hmm. And when businesses realized they couldn't make money without people, that's when people came into the equation. Mm-hmm. And so businesses who are trying to make money through people have a set of criteria around for certain roles, what skills and responsibilities these roles will have. If you don't foot the bill, you don't get in. That's exclusion. And so why would we assume that that trend or that practice ends at hiring? No, it it continues because if the goal is to continue to make profit once person is in said seat, well, then there have to be other um, markers for what is profitable and what isn't. Yes, I... I agree with you 100%. Um, so it's it's becoming more, I mean, it's always been important, I think, for leaders to come with a sense of, I think humbleness too is another word that comes to my humility is the, the word I'm looking for. Humility and curiosity are both really key inclusive behavior constructs that are important for leaders to navigate, I think, the modern world of, of the workplace, but also showing up as a good human being in general. Like you said, outside of work, inside of work, it's, it's some of the same characteristics. Yes. I love that you said that um, because you made me think about um, if, if we can sit in the curiosity a little bit longer, how much better off we'll be. And you made me think about why would we behave any differently outside of the workplace than we would in the workplace? So one of the things I I absolutely Mm. like cannot stomach is when companies call their um, employees family. Oh, Lord have mercy. Yes. (laughs) Let's take a moment of silence. Yes. Okay. And so Mm. if you peel it back though, and typically when you ask like where that comes from or why they do it, what the logic makes sense, the logic, but the impact doesn't. The impact, so the intent is one thing, the impact is another. And I think back to your, your you know, kind of dissecting of D, E, and I, um, if, if the intent is to convey that we should be treating each other as if we are connected in the most personal an intimate way, i.e. Mm-hmm. family, cool. But that is not <laughs> that word for many, for a lot of folks, means a myriad of different things that you as an individual cannot account for. If I am a CEO responsible for 3,000, 2,000, 10,000 people, I cannot possibly know what that one powerful word means to everyone. But what I do know is that it probably means different things, positive, Mm -hmm. neutral, and maybe even negative. And so how do I convey the same sentiment around, yes, how you would treat your family in ways around um, communication and devoting time Mm -hmm. and energy and effort and intention, like all the things we just talked about, how do you do that in a way that includes most, if not all, through language that may not be so loaded and personalized because of people's experiences, upbringings, backgrounds, et cetera? Yes. 
Yes, I I agree with you 100%. Um, family is not the word you're looking for, y'all. It's just not. <laughs> um, because family, because you don't fire family. Um, you don't... <laughs> Uh, have family. I mean, obviously, you don't want dysfunction in your in your organization, which, I mean, unless that's a part of your culture statement, I don't know if if that's even um, considered. But yeah, I don't think you want dysfunction because a lot of times family is dysfunctional. I mean, chosen family, maybe uh, that gives me a little bit more of a, a fuzzy feeling. But I agree with you. I think the sentiment is there where. You know, we we can show up to each other as our authentic selves, I think, is kind of the core to that. And that's in the most idealistic family units. That's what you would want. But I think it also devalues and underestimates the work behind building, holding people accountable, the integrity around culture and creating psychologically safe spaces. Because, yeah, you you maybe wouldn't fire a family member necessarily. And yeah. I, I think it's just, it's, it's a very poor way to paint the picture of what you're really trying to achieve, which is we are trying to work towards a goal collectively, mm-hmm. but we also acknowledge the, the individual diversity and the fact that everyone else has their own families, by the way, <laughs> that yeah. we're all dealing with. So when you come into this space, it is not family. It's a high performing team where you can contribute and you're able to learn from really talented people. Uh, and it's contributing to your overall story yes. um, and your, the purpose that you have and the mission that you have while you're, you know, while you're on this earth, right? We're trying to enrich you as an individual. Yes. Um, so yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I also think that families can be very um, homogenous. Right. So when you are in a family unit, there are are things that are really focused on generations within the family, but you have a diverse workforce. And so things like code switching, I think, to your point, um, is something that I resonates with me a lot because I spent my entire career in corporate and I had the work face and I I had my work voice. Right. (laughs) Like everyone around me was like, who is that? talking that's not Angela and then I have my my usual you know hanging out with my friends you know my community yes completely different person and that was exhausting absolutely exhausting so yeah if I'm joining a company that's a someone else's family and I have to code switch and I have to listen to um you know examples that don't resonate with me or have nothing to do with my upbringing or things that don't celebrate my differences and the communities that I come from then yeah that that, that becomes really exhausting for people i have to fit into yes. your family versus you're celebrating mine and or celebrating the family we're trying to create yes yes absolutely so to your point knowing that more times than not family origins are homogenous. Well, okay. So to your point, like how do you add an adjective or some other descriptor to that family word to differentiate between what you may be accustomed to and or coming from and what we are building here? Yes. A hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. And just to add this topic, yes, code switching. Mm, I cannot tell you if there was any reflection of all the reflection that I did around the pandemic, which 
we're mm-hmm. really still in, by the way, let's just also be clear yes. about that. Um, it was I the silver lining of not having to show up, and I'm doing air quotes, um, mm-hmm. in ways that fit the response and reaction I was looking for versus just showing up as me. I remember, and just a quick example, so don't get me wrong, I love to dress up. So you will you will catch me in heels, you will catch <laughs> me in dresses like that. That is a core part of who I am. Um, but when the pandemic hit and we went to remote or virtual, I started showing up in hoodies. Mm-hmm. And I remember a teammate being surprised and making a comment as if how I showed up at work somehow was always how I showed up, even on the weekend at the grocery store, like, like every environment outside of it was like, I only see you this way. So this must be the only way you show Mm -hmm. up. And it's like, I'm multi-layered just like you are. I don't, I love the gym as we talked about. I do not show up at the gym in heels and a J crew dress. No. (laughs) If you did, that would be impressive, but it would. And I might try it just for TikTok, but like, (laughs) that's not the norm. That is not me. It would be for social Mm -hmm. media likes. Like, right. Right. And that, and that is, I mean, that is real. I think, I mean, code switching has always been a topic that I think has grown in popularity now that people are denouncing it, basically, and rejecting it. And so what is professionalism, right? And, and going back to the employee experience, how can we create moments where we can celebrate the way people show up? Hmm. I think this is, this is the connection that I'm, I'm taking back here to the employee experience, because it's not just about adding on or curating experiences. It's also creating the space to allow people to show up as they are and to celebrate them. Because those are two different things uh, from my perspective. We can acknowledge there's differences, but truly celebrating them is a totally different thing. And um, we tend to celebrate the majority and we don't celebrate the things we're not familiar with or seem different. And and to me, that's the key difference. Just saying like, oh, it's Black History Month and let's talk about Black culture is, is, is learning. It's acknowledgement. Sure. But are you then taking that back throughout the year and celebrating that? Mm-hmm. Uh, are you asking, um, you know, you're asking people what that looks like for them. So that, that's the differentiator and, and not a lot of organizations are doing that. They're acknowledging they're not celebrating. Mm, I love, 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 love that differentiation, Angela. I do. I love that so much. And I think you're right. And you made me think about what we talked about earlier around the golden rule. I think we acknowledge based on how we would want. It's just very myopic mm-hmm. in thinking, yep. very narrow in thinking. And instead, to your point, have we asked individuals, communities that are contributing their all to this organization, how they want to be acknowledged and celebrated? And to your point as well, not just during Black History Month. How about the other months of the year? Would it would it be more meaningful to them if they actually saw it in the everyday versus only right mm-hmm. boxed into the 28 days of the shortest month of the year? Don't get me started. And so mm-hmm. to your point, how do we go a step beyond what we think for those who are making those decisions is significant 
and impactful enough and really ensuring that we're doing it for and with the individuals we are saying that we are doing this for. Yes. Uh, Doing with is a very important piece. Um, You know, the term nothing with us, um, without us, right? Um, Nothing for us, without us. What is, is that the right term? Yes. Nothing for us without us. Yeah. I, 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 it's so basically the, the, the essence of that is do not go and try to contribute something performatively without truly understanding it and involving the, 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 the people, the communities that you're trying to impact. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, we, you know, I have a different experience, right? You have a different experience and all of us are, our identities are very intersectional, but we need to recognize when we're kind of out of our lane a little bit and realize that we, you know, come from a different background and we may not have all the information or truly understand the experience. Um, and we shouldn't speak for other people. We shouldn't speak for other communities. So that is, I think, a, a great, a great point around, you know, doing things with people. And, and then again, back to celebrating, then how do you celebrate that or create spaces where it could be celebrated? And also checking your bias and checking these traditions that we've created within the workplace that are not serving everybody. The happy hour, right, is one of those things that I think we just we just need to, you know, we need to rethink. Right. I mean, it's come up in a few conversations, I think, from an inclusion perspective, celebrating certain holidays only. Right. Um, Is another thing. And and so someone's like probably listening is like, why would you? Why would you not celebrate Halloween or celebrate, you know, go to a happy hour? There's many reasons. Um, And I think the main thing about all these things is not that we don't want to celebrate Halloween. We don't want to celebrate Christmas. We don't also want to celebrate these Christian-based holidays or or have a a drink with our our fellow um, team. But think about the exclusion it can also present to certain communities. Um, Think about um, folks in, in the Muslim community who cannot drink or you're serving certain foods at a happy hour that are not again celebrating the culture or the holidays that that are acknowledged so these are all things that i think if we just kind of got out of ourselves a little bit and then also not shaming and making people feel guilty for not attending these things is another thing that is just like it flies under the radar you know those those comments of Oh, you're not going to join, you know, and, you know, those things are also really damaging and, and detrimental to the experience of, of employees. I love that you said that because two things come to mind. One is to your point, instead of shaming, why don't you ask, mm-hmm. go back to the curiosity we were talking about, ask why, so that next time you may be able to curate or create or send a calendar invite for something that is more inclusive. Because now you have leaned into curiosity to understand why someone may or may not attend such events. I also think to your point too, like we're always as humans asking what's in it for me. Mm. And to your point earlier, why someone may decline a Halloween celebration, a happy hour, et cetera, if there's nothing in it for them, Mm -hmm. why would they go? Right. We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with, with this idea I think, too, I think um, the the traditional model of the workplace and how it's been navigated is very white male focused. 
right? Um, golfing, right? There's these informal opportunities to build business, to build relationships. And I'll tell you what, like happy hours, golfing, not my thing. So how can I now have an equitable experience, an opportunity to, to network? What opportunities are you creating for me as someone who does not enjoy golf, who does not enjoy honestly spending time with coworkers outside of work hours, you know, an introvert. Um, These are all differences that you may be excluding when you're using traditional perspectives of what professionalism is, what networking means, how power comes to be, the the networks within your organization. All these things are ways to include or exclude. And unfortunately, traditionally, they've excluded. Yes. um, And I feel like what you... Yes, sorry. And I feel like what you just tapped into again was this idea around access and representation. Mm -hmm. Because if the folks who are doing the planning of said events, if it's a homogenous group, that probably, all the things we just talked about will probably not surface in the conversation. Why would it? Right. At the same time, okay, so let's pivot. So let's say I learned from planning an event or a moment that wasn't inclusive. So then how do I, to your point, provide access to other moments Mm -hmm. or events with the same outcome and impact, i.e. how do I get visibility because I do want to be promoted? How do I get visibility just to share my thoughts because I care about what this organization does? Like, how are we still grounded in the fact that we may not get it right every time, but we are coming behind to say, okay, I've learned from that and now I'm going to expand or widen my net to ensure that those who may have been left out can be brought in. Absolutely. I love this. I love this. I mean, we could go on and on probably for another three hours, but I want to kind of tie a bow on really how I'm summarizing our chat today is it's, it's employee experience and DE and I, um, multiplied, <laughs> um, you know, kind of co- we're combining these two topics, which I love. Um, and I mentioned earlier to you, you know, a lot of times people look at the work we do around change, around inclusivity, um, equitable outcomes at work. And they're like, oh, you're a DE&I expert. And I oftentimes like, I guess, but really I don't, I don't ca- characterize myself as that. I'm focused on system change. You're focused on employee experience. And so it's really, you know, sometimes I think we can kind of carve out DE&I when really it's diversity, inclusive behaviors, equitable outcomes is is how we should be building the system. And so I just love the fact that we talked about how we can shape and curate the employee experience to focus on moments that matter for everybody because we are all humans. And actually there are certain things within us that are actually moments that matter, right? Transitions, um, life events. Like these are all things that as a, as a company you can do for everybody. But that additional layer, which is equally as important, is how are you celebrating the differences within your workforce? And how are you not only acknowledging and learning about them and making them known, but also celebrating learning about people, not only as humans, but humans that are really complex and multi-layered. And I just, I love this conversation and where it's going. And I'm so excited about your work, Erica. Um, The organization you work for is really lucky to have you. And I know you're doing broader changes in this space. So 
tell us how we could find you. If someone's like, I just love this conversation. I want to reach out to Erica to learn more. How can, how can we find you? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, so Erica J. Spitale, um, that's probably where it's easiest to find me. Um, mm-hmm. Any direct inquiries, you can always email me at erica.spitale at employbridge.com. Um, other than that, like, hey, listen to Angela's podcast because it's amazing. <laughs> and thank you so much for what you're doing, for giving us all who care about what's next um, and trying to build um, what's next. Uh, thank you for giving us space and place um, to have these conversations, to do this work and to truly believe that change is possible. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for helping me envision something different, uh, and talking about, you know, the responsibility of, you know, organizations to, to do this work. It's it's not just us, right? Like we are in the, the field of, and in the business of changing, not people, but uh, changing how we think about paradigms that aren't serving everybody. So I'm just very honored to be a partner, um, partner in crime, I guess, is what I was thinking, but maybe that's not the right word. Partner in change, PIC, partner in change. Love it.